Please stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read from Genesis 15, 17 through 21. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Love you all. It's good to have you here today. New Year's, we're entering into it. Today, we're going to continue along in the theme that we've been in. We're all reading the Bible together, and we've been reading in Genesis, and last week we covered the theme of trees throughout the Bible. Started with the tree of life and how the tree of life moves from uh, Genesis in the beginning and how that theme carries through into Proverbs and clear into Revelations and ends with this beautiful tree of life and us restored to it. Today we'll look at, from our text, verse 18 says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. We'll look at that covenant specifically and just try to understand more about a covenant. There's a whole theology. It's called covenant theology. It's a way of seeing the Bible. It's been developed for hundreds of years and a way of seeing uh, the systematic understanding of Scripture all through the, through the Bible. So there's a lot to say on the subject. Um, just when you're reading the Scripture, the narrative of covenant throughout Scripture. The Hebrew term, just looking at the word itself and breaking that down, covenant, I've just always remembered this. It comes from a root word that carries with it the sense of cutting. So when we read in our text, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. These pieces were pieces of animals that had been cut in two, that's cutting, covenant, laid side by side in matching pairs, and usually it was in a slightly dipped area where the blood from the animals would run into this, and when God or made a covenant with man or when men made covenants with each other, you didn't just sign a piece of paper at the end, you did this. This was something that was in the culture of Abraham. This didn't surprise him when God told him to do this. Uh, they were used to this in their culture. It was a solemn oath, a vow that they would take together. And what you would do is uh, walk through that blood of those split animals, seeing them on either side. Sounds a little scary. I'm getting kind of like chills thinking about it. And you would walk through that blood and you would say in their oath, in their solemn vow and promise that if I don't keep this vow, may I become like one of these animals. You would look, you would see, you would smell, and you would remember. 
So it was powerful. What is this about, this cutting, this covenant? Abraham's prepared these animals, and yet in our first verse, verse 17, we see not Abraham walking through. His name is Abram at the time still. But you see this mysterious thing happening. The Bible is full of, of mystery. Abraham was, Abram was fighting off the animals from coming down and feeding on the carcasses. We read before this, he was waiting, and then all of a sudden the sun comes down, the sun goes down, and Abraham doesn't walk through the pieces. What happens is this smoking fire pot and flaming torch pass between the pieces. What does that mean? What is covenant about? One of the things that you can probably feel in describing what covenant is, it describes a relationship. And that relationship can be um, and is covenantal. And we were singing this morning in the last song that Rachel led in singing. Um, she used a combination of words there that it's strange and divine. It's divine and it's strange. This, this hope that we have. We were singing that, those words, after studying this all week, really resonated with me, trying to figure out this tension. It's something very deep and sometimes difficult to understand, and I don't know how well I'm going to be able to simplify it to you. But there's a tension in the Bible. All through the Bible, a lot of people see it as contradictions in which God desires to bless people, and he says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you no matter what. And people say, yeah, that blessing is unconditional. Then there's other times God says, and if you don't do it, I won't let one sin get past me, not one sin. You must be perfect, for I am perfect, and if you're not, I'm not going to bless you. Now, that sounds like a contradiction. And it's all through the Bible, and people fall on one side or the other. They they say, yeah, it's just unconditional, no matter what, God's eventually going to bless you. And they, sometimes you can become a relativist and just say it doesn't really matter, blessing's going to come. And then and other times you have people that become pharisaical and moralistic and they fall on this side and they say, if you don't keep every bit of the law, God's not with you. If you don't obey, he's not going to be with you. He only blesses obedience. And God is saying both of these things. But the interesting thing about covenant And understanding it and digging into it. Covenant theology all through the scripture. You follow this tension in the Bible. You see how it's resolved. And what you see is that covenant is a blend of both this law of God that demands perfection to be blessed. And it's also a blend of his steadfast, unfailing love that's going to bless you no matter what. So you're probably saying, well, which one is it? So I can get on that side. And what I'm saying is it's both, and it is covenant. It's a covenant relationship. We see this word first mentioned in Genesis 6.18 with Noah. God establishes a covenant with Noah. We see it after our text today with Moses and the covenant made to Moses and all of Israel, to the people of Israel, God establishing a, a people, and he establishes a covenant 
with them. You see, when God wants to have an intimate relationship, more than just a personal relationship, an intimate relationship that involves both law and love, he establishes covenant with people. It's it's paradoxical, but he moves in and he establishes covenant with Israel. And then when you read all through Judges, he's looking at this blessing. I'm going to bless you, but I'm not going to bless you because I'm leaving some of these enemies, and for 400 years they're going to torment you and be a thorn in your side. You see 400 years of history through Judges with this dichotomy of God saying, I want to bless you. Can't bless you. You left these enemies in here. What are you going to do, God? How are you going to resolve this tension? He establishes covenant with David. He establishes this covenant and the people break it. And all the prophets, you know what they're saying? When you read Jeremiah and Isaiah and all the minor prophets and Ezekiel, you know what they're saying? They're saying you haven't kept covenant. God has established this covenant, but he can't bless you because you haven't lived up to your end of the vow. So you see this tension throughout the whole Old Testament. Our Bible is divided into covenants. We have what we call the New Testament and the Old Testament. Those words are the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Testament is a word for covenant, testament, a will, oath, this promise. So you can see covenant's pretty big. Well, with this idea of our text today with Abraham and this covenant looking a little more specifically at it, God came to Abram in Genesis 12, 2, and he says this, I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing. I'm going to do it. He just says I'm going to do it. But in our text today, we see God ratifying that through this covenant. Take these, these animals, Abram, and do this, and You know, we're going to make this sure. And he reiterates what he's going to do to him through this solemn act of covenant. He said, I'm going to bless you. He repeats the the blessing. In Genesis 17, you all were reading these texts, if you're reading along with us this week. In Genesis 17, 1 through 7, it's all about covenant. It's all about covenant relationship talk. It says there that, You know, God is saying, I'll make my covenant between me and you, Abraham. I'll multiply you greatly, saying these same things again. And Abraham falls on his face before God, and God says to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. It's very personal. It's very intimate. It's upon you. It's with you. I desire an intimate relationship with you. It's not just all law, but it's love. It's intimacy. It's the language of law and intimacy perfectly blended. It's the law of covenant. It's the law of blessing. He said, I'll make your name, you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant 
between me and you and your offspring after you, your offspring after you. He's establishing covenant with Abraham. And then as we read in Genesis, we see how it's really important to follow this thread of covenant because there's a lot happening in the story with Abraham and Ishmael and him marrying others and having other kids. But what he says is in Genesis 26 is his covenant is made with Isaac. That's why Isaac is the central theme of this story. It's following covenant, the theme of covenant. Why Isaac becomes and rises to be so prominent is because the covenant relationship continues with him, the covenant promise of God. God's not going to break that. So he says, sojourn in this land. I'll be with you and I'll bless you. For you and your offspring, I will give you all these lands. I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham. He's continuing to establish what he said to Abraham. I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. Hear that symbolism being the same as with Abraham. I'll give your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. I'm going to bless you so that you'll bless all the nations and all the peoples of the earth. The blessing is going to come through you, Isaac. The covenant continues with Isaac, and then it goes on to Jacob in Genesis 28, verses 3 through 4. God Almighty, may he bless you. This is Isaac just passing on the blessing to Jacob. Bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. May you become a company of peoples, a company of nations. May he give you the blessing of Abraham. This covenant is very important. And then in Genesis 28, 12 through 15, God himself Blessing Jacob in that dream. Remember? If you don't remember that, you might remember the song, right? The number one rock song of all time. Usually hits the number one at the charts every time. Stairway to heaven. This is it. Stairway to heaven. Jacob dreams. Sleeping on that little rock. Try that. You might have a, a dream like that. Sleep with a rock under your head. Outside. In the open ground. Jacob dreams a dream. And here's the dream. Behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord. He sees the angels going up and down, descending from heaven. In verse 13, he says, Behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. Here's covenant again, passing on to you, God. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. So the stars of the heaven, dust of the earth, multitudes. And you shall spread families, and you shall spread families of the earth. <laughs> be blessed so through you so behold i am with you and will keep you wherever you go i will bring you back to this land i will not leave you until i have done what i have promised to you he's like god's just sticking with this oath man this covenant it's like made it to abraham made it to isaac making it to you i'm sticking with it i'm going to bless you and through you you're going to bless all of the peoples and the nations of this earth and he then changes, uh, you remember in the wrestling match, one of my favorite scriptures, Ball's wrestling. Jacob wrestles, and his name is changed to Israel, one who wrestles with God. And we move into this covenant with this people. Well, back in Genesis 15, where our covenant is made with Abram, and, and uh Abram has prepared these animals. He's cut them in half, it says in verse 10, and he laid them each on the other. 
And then in Genesis 15, 12 through 14, it says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on, on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And that's interesting. If you're going to bless somebody and, you know, make him a blessing, and blessing the nation, bless him no matter what, this great darkness fell. You see these paradoxical things happening here. Strange and divine. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be what? Really blessed, really multiplied, really abundant, really prosperous, really. No, your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, that's slaves. They will be afflicted for 400 years. Thank you. Thank you that you're blessing me, Lord. Oh, thank you. (laughs) See the dichotomy here, the paradox. I'll bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So we see this in the story of Moses and the story of of them and Joseph going down into Egypt and they multiply along the fertile valley of the Nile and they multiply as a people and Joseph has this great relationship and his whole family comes there. These are the Jacob's descendants and then the Pharaoh dies and the next Pharaoh comes up and says, who are these people multiplying down here way faster than we are and becoming a greater nation than we are? Let's start killing every baby that's born. That's a boy. Kill him. Moses gets spared following this covenant, God makes his covenant with Moses, and he establishes his covenant with Moses and the people of Israel, and he leads them out. How does he lead them out? Just like they said, they're for slaves for 400 years in Egypt, just like this vision says. See how important Genesis 15 is? Kind of key to understanding the whole narrative of the Bible. But I'll bring judgment on that nation, does, on Egypt, and afterwards they shall come out. Your people will come out with great possessions. Remember what Egypt did when they left? They gave them everything, gave them all their gold, just everything, just heaped everything on and said, get out. And they went out with all the riches of that nation. So what God says here is true. They are afflicted in Egypt for 400 years, but they're led out with great possessions. And Moses leads them in the Exodus. And toward the end of Moses' life, in Deuteronomy, this series of teachings that Moses is leaving with the people, these series of sermons, he's a... He's a writing and he's a preaching. And in Deuteronomy 29, he, all through it's the words of covenant, but in 29, he says, Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. Keeping the covenant is key to prospering. He says, You're all standing here today before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, the elders, your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, a sojourner who's in your camp from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, so that you may enter in to the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, that he may be your God. It's very personal. It's very intimate. The reason is because he wants to be your God as he has promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He's, re- he's establishing this covenant if the covenant is unfolding, and here he's saying, you need to do the words of this covenant. 
that you may prosper. And in backing up into Deuteronomy 28, you see that. You say, God wants to bless us. He's going to bless us. But then he says, if you do all these things with the word of the covenant, you're going to be blessed. But if you don't, here's all the curses for disobedience because I can't bless a disobedient people. So you see this dichotomy. What is the covenant? Are you going to bless us? Is your blessing unconditional or is your blessing conditional? And this tension only rises. And we see man fail. And we see Israel fail at the covenant and at keeping it. But we see something happening. We see this sun darkening and this smoking fire pot and this flaming torch pass between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made this covenant with Abram. God is, God is represented here. No matter what you look at in commentary, and they might break it down a little bit different, but God is the one that is represented by this smoking fire pot and flaming torch. It might be the Father and the Son, some form of God is walking through this, these cut animals. God's making the covenant, but Abram's over here asleep and does not pass through. God is promising to bless Abraham, and yet God also says, I can't bless a disobedient people. God says obedience to the covenant will bring the blessing and disobedience to the covenant will bring the curse. There's blessings and curses. All through the Old Testament, this tension that God has promised to bless no matter what, and yet at the same time he cannot under no circumstance bless disobedience seems unresolvable, seems untenable, it seems contradictory. What is God saying here? At times he says he's going to bless and he forgives and he's full of compassion. And at other times through the prophets, like Jeremiah in Jeremiah 34, 18, God says, All the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf they cut in two and pass between its parts. You hear that language? Whew. doesn't sound like I'm going to bless you no matter what there. sounds like God's wrath is tired of Israel breaking the covenant and not being a blessing to the nations, but being even more sinful than the nations around them. But as we see the sun go down and that deep sleep fall on Abram, a great and dreadful darkness fell upon him. Abraham not passing through. What do we see there? We see God making the covenant with himself. God the Father. I see it more as the Father and the Son. This covenant that they had made before they were walking through this. of How they would redeem man. And God is saying, I will take the consequences of if I don't keep the covenant to bless you, right? That's God's part. But yet Abram isn't walking through. And so what is he doing with this smoking fire pot and this flaming torch walking together? And he says, if Abram doesn't keep his end of the bargain, may I be torn in two also. Can you hear that language? I'm going to bless him. I have to bless him. I'm going to bless him. 
And if he doesn't, I know I'm going to live up to my end of the bargain, but what if he doesn't? I'm going to bless him because I will suffer like these animals if he doesn't live up to his side either. God's taking the full consequences of man's disobedient to keep the covenant upon himself. Jesus takes all the curses upon himself upon that tree and the father and son are torn in two. In Genesis 15, 12, it says, Great darkness fell. Great darkness. Is there there another time when great darkness falls upon the whole land? Yes. When Jesus was on the cross. In Mark 15, verse 33, it says, And the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And in the ninth hour... Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabbatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a place where the blood-curdling cry in the original Aramaic is written in the Bible because it echoed in their ear what those words were. And that's what those words mean, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was as if one part of the animal was laid on this side and torn in two, and one part of the animal is laid on this side, torn in two. And the Trinity, love of who the Father and the Son are, the God and the Holy Spirit, was broken in two upon that tree. The separation between man and God and man breaking the covenant with God, Jesus was experiencing that brokenness so that we could experience that healing. Jesus was fulfilling with the Father man's side of the covenant that man had only dis- disobeyed. And that's what it says in Galatians 3, 13-14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Do you hear that language? Jesus became the curse. The curse invoked the wrath of God. It it evoked that Jeremiah verse that said, you disobedient people will be cut in two like that animal we walked before because you haven't lived up to your... Jesus said, no, I will take that. I will be cut in two from you, Father. Covenant language is the deepest loving mix of law and love together language there is. In just my opinion throughout the scripture. It's covenantal. We hardly don't even know how to relate to it in our language today. But he became that curse. Why? Verse 14 says, so that the blessing of Abraham. Look at this in, Revel- in, in, in Galatians 3. The blessing of Abraham. So that the blessing of Abraham might come to all the nations, to the Gentiles so that they might receive the promised spirit through faith. Whew! Powerful language. Galatians 3.16, the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring, or his seed. Uh, It does not say into offsprings. It doesn't say or to his seeds, referring to many. It wasn't about all the many descendants of Abraham, but Paul in Galatians 3.16 is talking this covenantal language, and he says, but the seed, the offspring, was singular, Referring to one, guess who that offspring was? Christ. 
covenant relationship and the covenant blessing come through only one offspring of Abraham, and that offspring is Christ. God the Father and God the Son are the smoking pot and the flaming torch. They made this covenant with themselves and between themselves before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. It's all about blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. How? In Christ. With what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When? When did he choose us? When did he elect us? Verse 4, even as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. That's how far back his love goes for you. When he was with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Before they created, before they laid the foundations of the earth. Knowing time from beginning to end, they said, What covenant should we make that we will redeem this fallen, rebellious people we create? We'll make a covenant. We'll pass through with man. We'll partner with man. We'll covenant with man. And Jesus, you will be the eternal word of God, become flesh to become a man and fulfill man's end of the covenant. So Ephesians says, before the foundation of the world, it's when he chose us to be in Christ. He chose us, put your name there, (laughs) this blows my mind, by Barnett, before the foundation of the world. What, that I should be holy and blameless before him? What, how did he do this? In love. This is the love story. It goes back that far. It says, in love he predestined us For what? For adoption to himself as sons. He realized we would be rebellious away from him, but he would adopt us back into as, not as just tenants, no longer orphans cast out from the garden, but would adopt us back, how? Through Jesus. Who is saying that today? Man, my hope is in Jesus only. Only through Jesus According to the purpose of his will, Ephesians says, this was his will and testament, this is his covenant, all to the praise of the glorious grace, it's all his grace, nothing we have achieved, all what Jesus has achieved, which what? With which he has blessed us in the beloved, blessed in Christ, covenant keeper, the one covenant keeper the one who kept covenant with the Father on this earth, the one who stayed one with the Father, the one who would not forsake the Father even in the garden, he submitted, not my will, but your will be done. And you are blessed in Christ in those heavenly places. You were blessed in Christ before the foundation of the world. You were blessed not as a tenant, but as a son in the covenant blood of Jesus Christ, a blend of law and love, Together, he predestined you to adopt you into his family as a son, yes, and daughter. It is God's covenant, his will to bless you. And he has made the way to bless you, to be the 
to bless you in the offspring of Abraham. And that offspring is Jesus Christ. God's covenant love chose you, loved you, blessed you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He knew you would be lost and unable to obey. And he knew he would have to adopt you to himself through Jesus Christ according to his will. You are a new creation, a new race of people in Christ Jesus. You walk and you love to walk in obedience because he has by his spirit written his very law inside of you on your heart through the spirit. To disobey him now means you have to go against your new divine nature in Christ. Let that blow your mind. You are a child of obedience in Jesus now. You have a new divine nature that wants to obey, has the law of God stamped on your heart, written on your heart, fulfilled fully in Christ within you. You're blessed now. You're blessed. You're blessed in the new covenant of His blood. The blood that flowed when He was torn to pieces for you. When He fulfilled that end of the bargain for you of the covenant. When He was torn to pieces by His stripes that ripped pieces of His flesh out of Him. That's what healed you. The blood that flowed from His head when they jammed and mocked Him with the crown of thorns. They wove it. They shoved it on His head. Blood flowed. Blood flowed. The blood of the covenant flowed when they nailed His hands and feet to that cursed tree and he became a curse for us. Blood flowed when they wanted to make sure he was dead and they pierced his side. Blood and water flowed. Blood flowed. He was torn in pieces because of the love that he has for you to ratify the new covenant for you so that you could walk in this more than just a personal relationship with Jesus, an intimate covenant law-filled, love-filled, covenant relationship with him. He shed his blood. And it aches me and it irks me to see shallow forms of a wispy God and a wispy love, airy, impersonal force out there that is God. That's not God. God is a covenant-loving God of the Bible. He's not one of our own making. He is an all-powerful, sovereign Lord. He's not the Hinduism God that's so popular in our world today or cute little film, Julia Roberts, Eat, Pray, Love, all focused on a form of Hinduism. It's not even a lot of the movies I like and love or the Star Wars films or the Avatar, this written by a Buddhist philosophy, this impersonal life force that's out there and that's in everything. No, that's not the God of the Bible. Where we get to call all the shots, where we get to use God like our personal secretary. I hope you can help me here and do this and that for me. God's not that kind of God. He's given His Son for you. He is the God who calls the shots, not you. That's just the God of the Bible. That's the God that you find and you see when you come before him. You, f- you learn that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you realize that he is awesome. He is all-powerful, and you're not. You don't call the shots. And he's not just some impersonal force. He's a personal, intimate, loving God that wants the deepest, 
intimate relationship with you. God calls the shots. And he did it before the foundation of the world. C.S. Lewis said this, an impersonal God, well and good. A subjective God of beauty, truth, and goodness inside our own heads, better even still. But God himself, alive, pulling at the other end of the cord, perhaps approaching at infinite speed, the hunter, king, husband. That is quite another matter. That's the God of the Bible. That's the relationship with God that we have with covenant. It's the covenant-making, covenant-keeping, living God. Let's worship him today together. As we take communion together, we thank the Lord for ratifying the new covenant upon that cursed tree, and he ratified it through a man. He said there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. He became fully man. Yes, he was fully God. He became fully man. It was his body, his body, not an animal sacrifice in the end, but the ultimate sacrifice is Jesus. He ratifies the covenant fully, the new covenant in his body and his blood. That's how he does it. You can read the whole book of Hebrews. It's all about covenantal love. He ratifies it through his body and his blood, and that's what we partake of today. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat of it. And in like manner, he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant given for you for the remission of sins. This is covenantal talk, covenantal language. Take and drink of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me. We remember you, Lord. Let us worship.